From there, I'm going to do a little bit of review. Uh, James chapter 2 from um, James chapter 2 verse 12. <clears throat> now, sometimes I hear preachers do that. And I'm like, why do they tell them to turn one spot and then read another verse? I don't, anyway, amen. <laughs> I just want to review a couple of things with you right quick. Let's do this. We'll read Micah 6 and 8 first. Micah 6 and 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. Jeremiah talks about people who put their trust in man and in the, in the things of the flesh and that they can't see good even when it's right in front of them, even when it comes. But aren't you glad God has shown us what is good? Amen. And we know what is good. Amen. And what does the Lord require of you? That word requires a strong word. How many of you know God requires some things of us? He has some expectations. Amen. Not because he wants more from you, but because he wants more for you. Amen. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, let me, um, you stay there because we're going to talk about some things from that verse. But let me go back to where we've been the last couple of Wednesday nights. James chapter 2 and verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now, this is written to born-again believers. And yet he's saying that, um, you know, we're going to be judged and we need to speak and act like those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs rejoices over judgment. Amen. Now, last week we asked a series of questions, um, beginning with, is God a God of judgment or is He a God of mercy? And of course, if you answered He's both, you'd be correct. And so we restructured uh, the question because clearly He's a God of both judgment and and mercy, but which one does he prefer? And I think it's clear throughout the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, but abundantly clear in the New Testament, that although God is a God of judgment and mercy, he prefers mercy. He would rather forgive you than punish you. Amen. And as men and women who are men and women after God's own heart, we have to ask our question, our, ourselves a similar question, which one do we prefer? Do, do we prefer mercy or do we prefer judgment? Do, do we receive satisfaction from people getting what they have coming to them? Or do we receive satisfaction when people are forgiven and, and blessed and shown mercy or when we forgive them and bless them and uh, show them mercy? We cannot be people after God's own heart if we do not, as Micah 6 and 8 says, if we do not love mercy, if we do not love mercy. Who are we taking after when we judge other people? Who are we taking after when we point out other people's faults and inconsistencies? Who, who are we taking after when we accuse other people of wrongdoing? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So if, if, we, if we are prone to that type of speaking and doing, then we're not taking after God's heart, we're taking after... Um, let's just say uh, 
somebody else's heart. Amen. So, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Now, we, just to clarify, for those of you who haven't been with us, there's, there's two different judgments. There's the, the white throne judgment. This is for the people who don't know God. Then there's the judgment seat of Christ. And these are the people who do know God. And the judgment seat of Christ, uh, in other words, <laughs> mercy comes into play at both places. Amen. If you've been born again, you won't stand before the white throne of judgment. If you've been born again, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged based upon what you did with what you were given. And trust me, you're going to want mercy when you stand there. But notice he says, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You'll be judged with the same judgment or shown mercy with the same kind of mercy that you showed to other people. Now, back to Micah 6. He has shown you, O man, what is good. It's important for God to show us what is good because we were created by God to, to be motivated, you know, to go after what is good. In, in other words, our world kind of tries to work on the model of, you know, a, a, a threat of punishment. And, 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 you know, we pass all kinds of laws and, and all kinds of penalties for breaking those laws. And I, listen, I understand that's a, that's a necessity, but... God wired us to be more motivated by the promise of a reward than the threat of punishment. I, I've seen people, you know, on small matters all the way up to like long prison sentences, knowing that if they did this, knowing if they left this program, knowing if they um, went and participated in this behavior again, these would be the serious consequences they were facing, and they did, and they did it anyway. So God wants you to see what is good. In the New Testament, He wants to go ahead and give you what is good. It's the goodness of God that does what? It leads us to repentance. That's, those verses are there in, in Romans, you know, where, where He, again, is saying it's inexcusable when, when we judge others for the things we're doing ourselves and that we've forgotten that it's the goodness of God that leads a man or a woman to repentance. So He has shown us what is good and what's implied then is that Seeing and realizing what is good and, 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 and wonderful and enjoyable in life, um, that we would then be motivated to do what God requires of us. And we see these three things. You know, this passage has been one that I've been familiar with, thankfully, for a good part of my life. It's, it's a, uh, um, even if we don't know it's in Micah, you know, perhaps you've heard this verse before to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And to be honest with you, for some, for some reason, I, I've kind of just skipped over the love mercy part. Not that I think mercy is somehow unimportant, but it seems like a greater challenge. You know, to do justly means to do what's right, to treat people fairly, um, and, and to do you know, just and right are, are basically synonymous with one another. And then, you know, to walk humbly with your God. Notice his desire has always been to walk with you, to do life to, alongside you and you alongside him. But we see in between those three requirements is this um, phrase, to love mercy. Now, I believe there's an important order to these instructions. Doing justly is the standard that I strive to live up to. Let, let, let me try to... I struggle with this part in my notes, and I don't want to overcomplicate this, but, you know, 
the Bible says each man bear his own load. And, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't, at the same Bible that says that says we should share one another's burdens. What he's talking about, you know, we heard it this way when we were kids. And, and, and you know, when you stand before God, it's just going to be you and him. You know, sometimes we, if we're not careful, we will determine what's right for us based upon somebody else's standard. You know, um, and, and we compare ourselves. That's judging, right? We compare ourselves to somebody else. I believe the, I believe the main reason that born-again people judge other people is for self-justification. They're trying to justify what, what, what they're doing or what they're not doing by looking at other people who are doing something worse than them or being lazier than they are. And so they think they're okay because they're doing this. And So when he, when he says um, to, uh, to do justly, that, that's, that's between me and God. That's between you and God, right? This, this is something that, that we strive for um, you know, individually, something that, that we strive to live up to regardless of what other people do. You remember what your mama said, right? Well, if they told you to jump off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge? What, you know, in other words, this whole excuse of, <laughs> well, so-and-so did it or they told me to do it, whatever. You know. Again, but we still play those childish games if we're not careful um, as, um, as adults. So judging others is rooted in self-justification, which is a very poor substitute for actually doing what is right, doing what is just. And then we see that humility is to mercy what pride is to judgment. Humility is to mercy what pride is to judgment. Let me develop that a little further. Pride and judgment go hand in hand. Do you realize you cannot form and express negative opinions about another person without being prideful at the same time? Think about that for a moment. See, see this, we, we've talked about and, and preached a couple of sermons under the, uh, under the title or, or at least referring to this idea of being tempted to judge. You know, we think of all these different temptations that the devil tries to, to, to use against us, but how many times do we think about him tempting us to judge? But part of the, 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 the temptation to judge is the devil's uh, effort to try to deceive you into a prideful position, that seed of the scornful that we see in Psalm 1. So, humility is to mercy what pride is to judgment. Pride and judgment go hand in hand. You cannot form and express negative opinions. That's the, that's the most basic form of judgment, is forming and expressing negative opinions about another person. You cannot do that without being prideful at the same time. But humility and mercy also go hand in hand. You cannot show mercy to another person without humbling yourself first. Do I need to remind you who gets the grace? Who gets the help? The humble get the help, right? The humble get the grace. God gives more grace. He resists the prideful, but he gives grace. He gives help. He gives unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor to the humble. So humility and mercy go hand in hand. Now, I'm, I'm trying to develop a couple of three things at the same time here. Remember, alongside all of this, we're talking about being men and women after God's own heart. And so... Humility and mercy go hand in hand. This is more in alignment with the heart of God as opposed to uh, judging uh, other people and pride. Uh, that, of course, is opposed to God's heart. Now, I asked you this question last week. I'm going to ask you again. Do you think God would require us to love mercy if he did not love mercy himself? 
And we said that loving mercy means loving to receive mercy <laughs> as well as loving to give it. Amen. In other words, you can't, you can't really fulfill this requirement. Remember, what, do I, what does he require? He requires do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So you, you can't really love mercy if you only love receiving it, but do not love or enjoy extending it, giving it to others. So the Holy Spirit really drew me into this thought, okay, and, and this will more than likely wind up being the title of the message tonight, falling in love with mercy. Because this word love, to love mercy, in the Hebrew, it is the same word that speaks of a powerful and intimate relationship between a husband and a wife or between very close friends. This word love that we find here in the context of loving mercy, that we also find being used to talk about the love between a man and, and his wife, a husband and wife, it's, um, it's associated with, are you ready for this? It's associated with covenant loyalty, faithfulness, and affection. So when we talk about the kind of love that that exists between a husband and a wife or between very close friends, we're talking about a covenant love, a love that, that, that involves a covenant, a love that involves loyalty, a love that involves faithfulness to one another, a love that, it, that involves affection for one another. It's more than, in other words, a marriage is more than a business contract, right? It's more than a covenant. It is a covenant, but it's more than a covenant. Amen? Um, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of husbands and wives, unfortunately, who, who have the, 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 the license, but they don't necessarily have the, 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 the joy and, and the uh, experience, enjoyment in, in their marriage. But praise God, the Lord's going to help them with that. Amen? But when we, we talk about this kind of love, he's talking about us having this kind of, of love, both the commitment to and the affection for, the loyalty to, faithful. He's talking about you being as faithful to show mercy as you are faithful to your spouse. He's putting these things alongside one another. I mean, I th- I, in other words, he's, he's elevating this in a way that, um, that I think is intentional. It's deliberate by the choice of the words that he's using here. Um, when he's telling us to love mercy, he's talking, about, he's talking about me loving mercy like I love Pam. Wow. So, if we consider again, and I, he's talking about, the, so let's go back then to, to a husband and, and wife relationship. I, you know, I won't go through all the, the, the details, but there was a time when I met Pam. There was a time when I got to know Pam. There was a time when uh, I really started liking Pam and spending more time with her. And then there was a time when I realized I, I love her. This is the one I want to spend the rest of my life with. Then we got married that was 34 plus years ago. Are you following what I'm saying? In other words, there's, a, there's a beginning, there's a development, there's a cultivation, there's a deepening. All of, all of these things that are involved in a, in a love relationship between a husband and, and a wife that I believe are to be compared to us developing a lasting love relationship with mercy. 
I believe what he's saying by the use of this word is that we should make a covenant with mercy. We should commit ourselves to mercy the way we would commit ourselves to a spouse. And we should be faithful to show mercy for better or for worse. And remain faithful, but also be affectionate toward mercy. In other words, falling in love with mercy. Now, let's pay close attention. I, I, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Pay close attention to, to the words in, in Micah 6. To love mercy. You realize all the words that God could have used here but did not. In other words, he, he could have uh, said, instead of to love mercy, he, he could have simply said, I require you to show mercy. I require you to practice mercy. I require you to try to do your best to be merciful. I require you to to, to have, to practice, to show. That's that's not the words that he used, though. Now, that kind of led me to asking some more questions of the Lord. Why love when it could have been another word? And this is the first thing that jumped up in my, in my heart, in my spirit, I believe from the Holy Spirit. He said, love always means a heart connection. Now, that brings us right back to what we're talking about in the last several weeks, right? Faithful flourish in a merciful heart. To love mercy means you have a heart connection with mercy. Loving mercy, right, means having a heart connection with it. And, um, by the way, another word for mercy in the Scripture, they're synonymous with one another, often translated, in other words, sometimes you'll see even like a, um, if if you have, uh, oh, what am I looking for, like a little number beside uh, a marginal note or an alternate pronunciation or definition for a word, a lot of times you'll see uh, loving kindness um, translated mercy, or you'll see mercy translated loving kindness. So, loving mercy turns showing mercy into something I get to do instead of something I have to do. Now, I'm not trying to raise the bar um, higher than it needs to be raised, but I'm also, amen, this is the Word of God. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? I think, I think sometimes we, we look at things uh, as drudgery, as hard and as difficult we look at things that that we think are going to be draining that are actually life-giving. Remember, this is the same God that said, give and it'll be given unto you. This is the same God that said, if you want to be great, you've got to make yourself the least, right? In other words, so many of His ways, they fly in the face of and are opposite to this world's uh, way. And, And so, way down in my notes, I don't know if we'll get there tonight or not, but when Jesus goes through all these uh, lists of extreme mercy... And we're sitting back going, ain't no way, ain't no way, ain't no way. See, we've got to remember, he knows something about all this that we don't know. He understands something about life and living and, 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 and the goodness of God and how to tap into uh, the, you know, the deeper things of God and also the stuff that we don't know. We just look at that on a rational level and think, if I live that way, people will walk all over me. But the reality of it is this, people who show extreme mercy become bulletproof in life. No, nothing can touch them they'll lack no they'll lack nothing they'll never they'll always come to the top amen somebody say joseph right think about joseph all right praise god now 
So having mercy, showing mercy, trying to be merciful are not enough. Father wants you to love mercy and we see that it's something He requires. Father wants you to love mercy. Mercy is something you can learn to love. I know it's an odd way of saying it because, you know, it's like I didn't, I don't know if she did and I certainly didn't think, you know, wow, you know, I'm learning to love this woman. You know? But I learned to love Pam. I, we, you follow what I'm saying? And we, we hear that and we think, oh, well, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I learned to love broccoli. No, no, see, no, that's, 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 what, I, that's what I mean. You know, something's, something is happening inside of me. Something's happening inside of her as our relationship with one another develops and progresses. And the same thing will happen inside of us as we learn and let Father, to teach, teach, let Father teach us by His Spirit how to love mercy. You see, you can learn to love, you can learn to love mercy because guess what? Mercy is compatible with your origin. Father created you and me with mercy in mind. Let me ask you a quick question. Does God have a merciful heart? Yes, he does. Guess where you came from? You came from the heart of God. The Holy Spirit gave me this statement. He said, Father created, um, Father created you with mercy in mind. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Before he ever breathed breath into the nostrils of Adam, he had already agreed to show us the extreme mercy of dying for us as his enemies. See, Jesus doesn't just say to you and me, love your enemies and not do it himself. We don't often think of this, but the Bible's very clear about it. When Jesus died for us, we were his enemy. He didn't just tell us to show extreme mercy. Or let me thank you, Holy Spirit. He didn't just tell us to love mercy. He, he loved mercy before you were ever alive to show it to. Father created you and me with mercy in mind. Now, I said the first thing that jumped in, in my spirit from the Holy Spirit was that love always means a heart connection. But here's the other thing. Love, all, especially the kind of love now that he's talking about, the 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 intense, powerful, intimate connection between a husband and a wife, that love uh, doesn't just mean a heart connection. It also means desire. Desire. So what does that mean? That means Father wants you to want to be merciful. He wants you to want to be a merciful man or woman. As opposed to what? As opposed to begrudgingly doing your best. As opposed to like, well, I want to, you know, Pastor Mark keeps telling me if I'm not merciful, I'm not going to be showing mercy, so I guess I better try to do a little bit here. No, so again, that's not what Father's looking for. He's wanting that heart connection because he wants us to be men and women who are after his own heart. He wants you to have a heart like his heart in you. Amen. To love mercy means making mercy a priority in your life. Remember, Jesus taught us this. Your heart will always be deeply connected to what you treasure 
and you decide what you treasure in life. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, whatever you make a priority, whatever you say I'm going after, whatever you choose to treasure in life, even if your heart's not initially connected to it, if you make it a priority, if you go after it, if you work towards that thing, eventually your heart will be connected to it. Now, we have multiple words in the Greek language translated love. And what we see, of course, when Jesus says love your enemies is he's using the word agape. Agape. That's not the same as philo. Philo is when you have warm, fond, affectionate feelings for another person. This is somebody you enjoy spending time with. You enjoy uh, hanging around. Hopefully, uh, at Christmas, you were uh, with a whole bunch of people that you feel of. Amen. That you enjoy their company. They enjoy yours. It's a beautiful, wonderful aspect. But that's, that's only one kind of love, one expression of love. Agape is, is different from that. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, we think philo, and we say there's no way. He didn't say philo your enemy. He said, love your enemy, agape your enemy. Agape means to love as an act of your will. Love as an act of your will. And then what we see is that, that connected with that is you begin by loving as an act of your will and that's when you find joy in that kind of love. See, philo has its, its joy, right? Um, eros, a romantic kind of love, it has its joy. Sturgio, or Sturgio, I have different pronunciations for that one. That's a familial love. Okay? And certainly there's, there's joy that comes in that love. But you think agape, loving your enemy as an act of your will, guess what? That's some of the greatest joy you'll ever tap into. So do you see how loving mercy, it lines up with what, what we see in the New Testament, in the Greek language, this word agape. Amen. Now, let's do this. Praise God. Matthew 5, and um, let me make a couple more points and we'll land this plane for tonight. Amen. You speaking to the weather with me? Amen. Pam and I spoke to it earlier today. Praise God. So um, we're not... Uh, the word... I don't I know some of you uh, listen to Brother Keith Moore. He had a real simple word back in the early beginnings of, um, excuse me, in the early beginnings of the whole COVID issue. And um, it was a word from the Lord. And, and, the, and the, he reminded me of it in a sermon he preached recently. And that was the Lord told him two things to tell his people. He said, do not fear and do not be foolish. Do not fear, but do not be foolish. And so, and he, he went on to elaborate, to be foolish would be to take unnecessary risk or, you know, to, to just assume or to get in pride and trying to impress somebody or what have you, you know what I'm saying? So I, th- I thought, man, you know, that is just so true. And I was thinking about that today just in light of, you know, the weather threat and that sort of thing, you know. I'm not going to be afraid. But we're not going to be foolish either, right? Holy Spirit will keep you, you know, (laughs) 
in that place right between um, being foolish and being scared. Amen. Praise God. All right, Matthew 5, verse 38. Jesus speaking again. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your cheek, turn the other to him also. Again, extreme mercy here, right? We said last week that that mercy doesn't come into play unless you've been offended or potentially offended or wronged in some way, all right? So you 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 got to you know choose on on these in these situations, okay? So if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now this is the verse I want to focus on. Let me read the rest of them and I'll come back. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors uh, do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So he's talking about, notice a love for mercy will cause you to seek out opportunities to show mercy rather than waiting for those opportunities to come to you. So we don't, we don't often think about you know, getting out of our comfort zone and speaking to people and, and greeting people in an elevator or, or these kinds of things. But those, those are you know, acts of loving kindness. You're expressing kindness. You're ex- expressing love and concern or what have you for people. And all of these things fall into this category. But verse 45, and then we'll finish. He says to do these things, verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, he's not suggesting that there is another way to be born again. That's not what he's talking about here. This expression, sons of your Father in heaven, um, literally, this would be the literal translation, that you may have the same disposition as your Father in heaven. That you may have your same disp- the same disposition as your Father in heaven. Remember we said when we began this part of our study that we were created in the image and likeness of God. He wants us to have an interior that matches the exterior. He wants us to have a heart that goes along with the image and the likeness. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Literally, that you may have the disposition of your Father in heaven. So what is disposition? Disposition means a tendency to act or think in a certain way. The normal or prevailing mood or attitude about life. And here's the thing about dispositions. There's a natural one and there's one that can be acquired. Um, How about this? Um, I'm sure none of you, but you perhaps... Uh, know someone who had teenage children that uh, acquired the disposition of some of their friends. Right? In other words, you have the, 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 the natural uh, tendency, let me give it to you one more time, the tendency to act or think in a certain way. 
the normal or prevailing mood or attitude. I don't know why I say mood like a cow. Mood. The, the prevailing mood or attitude about life. Dispositions can be natural or acquired. Wow. Stand with me. Praise God. So Ephesians 5 and 1 tells you and me to what? To be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of God as dear children. It's good, isn't it? Kind of puts all this in perspective. He loves mercy. Our Father loves mercy. He enjoys showing mercy. We looked at this last week. I just want to remind you, He takes no pleasure in the death of a wicked man. God doesn't sit up there and go, well, He had that coming. No. He mourns and weeps and grieves over it. A tragic loss. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for things that you're teaching us, things that you're revealing to us, Father. Thank you for your great love. And your Holy Spirit, Father, is in us right now pouring out your love in our hearts. Father, may what's being poured in us flow through us to others around us, Lord. Father, teach us to love mercy. Lord, not just to be merciful because that's what good Christians do, but Lord, to, to love it, to enjoy it, to find great satisfaction and contentment in life by being merciful to other people. Lord, in little things, big things, got to be faithful in the little things. Father, somebody needing to be let out of a side road into traffic, Father, show them some mercy. Lord, let people go first. All kinds of little things in life, Father. But we just start finding great pleasure in being merciful, Lord. Becoming men and women after your own heart. Father, thank you for 2021. Lord, we look forward to finishing out these next couple of days strong and then on into 2022 for your glory, Father. Thank you for your blessing, your protection, your healing upon each one of us and our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you again so much for being here on this particular Wednesday night. Happy New Year to you and yours. Know that you're loved. We're going to have a great time around here on Sunday morning. Be enjoying communion together.